Uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that's in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. Welcome back to this episode of Faith in Your Recovery. We're glad you've joined us. Thanks for tuning in. Get a hold of a friend. Let them know next time we show up here on the waves, here on the uh, our podcast, Faith in Your Recovery. Our guest today is Dr. Brooke Schaefer. She's a nurse practitioner specializing in perinatal substance use disorder treatment. Is that pretty close, Brooke? It's pretty close. I'm not a doctor. I am a nurse practitioner, though. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'll back yes. up on that <laughs> if that's necessary, but we're just glad you're with us. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, that's that's an unfamiliar territory to me. Tell me, tell our listeners a little bit about that, what your profession is about, exactly what that means. Yes. So I run a treatment program through Community Health Network for pregnant women that struggle with substance use disorders. And we specifically came about in around 2015 um, because we were getting patients in the OBGYN world who were pregnant, but they're providers, the doctors who were prescribing their medications to help, um, were cutting them off as soon as they found out they were pregnant. So at that time, there was a thought process that when women were pregnant and had a history of opiate use disorder, you just sort of stopped treatment for opiate use disorder. And you just basically gave them the strategy of just try not to use while you're pregnant, which was not a safe practice. I wish that would work in a lot of exactly. cases. Exactly. If it was yes. as simple as just, I'm going to stop we today. We wouldn't be in here exactly. if it was that simple. It's way more complicated. And so um, at that time, they knew OBGYM was seeing, this was, it started at Community East, um, but now we're also at Community Anderson. And the thought process was just, okay, if nobody's going to help them, we better. And so they started um, providing services to these mothers. But what we found was the medications are the easy part. You know, writing a prescription for a medicine that's going to be helpful, such as Subutex or Suboxone, those medicines were not the hardest part of helping people find recovery. The really complicated thing was what do you do when a patient comes in who is living in her car, she has a cat, it's February, and she's out of gas, her cell phone doesn't work. What are you going to do right now to help her? And so that's where we really, over the years, I've gotten to bring in a team and we all, so I'm a nurse practitioner. I'm also the director for the program. And then we've brought in a support team that really figures out how to solve the hard parts of helping people fight those barriers. So what does that team look like? Yes. Uh, What does it consist of as far as the members involved? Yes. So there's myself as a nurse practitioner, so I can run it from an administrative perspective, but then also I can help with medications, appointments, you know, seeing patients for their OB. And then we also have another nurse practitioner who's full-time, who's doing the same. Um, And then we have um, some more nursing staff, but we have a therapist who's part of our team, and she's specifically on our team. So she's her focus is mothers in recovery or mothers seeking recovery, which is a different thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's there's more to be unpacked in that. Um, and then we also have a peer recovery coach on our program or on our group who is um, a graduate of our program. 
So she was a former patient who did very well, and now she's part of our team, and we are so blessed to have her. That's neat. Yeah. That's so needed yeah. today, that peer recovery coach. Absolutely. Uh, as much as anybody on the team. Absolutely. Uh, she's taught me things that I thought I knew. She's reinforced them for me in a way that made me understand them better. Ab- that makes total sense. I think I caught you earlier saying you guys started like 2015. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Had this been a field of medicine for long prior to that nationally, so to speak? There were some programs mostly. So in OBGYN, whenever you're having a baby, you you see an OBGYN. And that's what they call the doctors who see women's health, pregnancy, or just women's health. And there were some very high-risk doctors in Indiana, so women who were expected to have complicated pregnancies that were treating this. But it was very isolated. It was only in Indianapolis, and it was only in the large, large hospitals downtown. But when we saw the need, community rose to the challenge. So many of the smaller communities didn't have access to the help that was needed for that individual struggling from the substance use. And especially a community like Anderson was definitely very underserved. I live here in Madison County and I care about Anderson and, you know, you just were not seeing that. That was something that was not offered here at all. Folks, as we've always told you, we believe that we want to be about all things recovery. So as Brooke shares with us today, this is certainly a new territory for me. This is new knowledge, and uh, we certainly appreciate being able to look at this part of life. Uh, You've given us an idea, description of your profession. What made you want to head into this area with all the areas of medicine, all the fields, whatever the proper term would be. Why did you choose to turn toward perinatal substance use disorder treatment? Yeah. Um, Anyone who knows me loves, I knows I love babies. I've always just everything about anything that's a baby has always drawn me since I was a child. I just adore babies. Um, And I love the sanctity of motherhood. There's so much, a healthy mother is a healthy family. And there's so much that can happen that stems off the start of a healthy mother. So if that mother's healthy, the family's healthy, and then everyone the family touches has a better chance of having a healthy interaction. And so much changes if a mother is healthy. And the father is very important as well. Sure, sure. But the mother in that pregnancy gets a time with a baby that is really just kind of between them. And there's the fathers involved, but it's still, there's so much opportunity to build a bond there that can change the whole world. It's that not that same nature or nurture from dad and a child as to mother and the child. And it's such a great opportunity. I, I've also always been a very big optimist, always believe in the good in all people. And I think that finding recovery takes so much support around you to really reach your goals that if we can support during that most motivating time period for many people's lives I see so many women that said I never even thought about getting sober until I was pregnant and then they're like what do I need to do it changes that whole thing and so I went specifically into the field I specialized in because I love babies I love mothers I love motherhood and I love helping people that are being stigmatized against That was going to be one of my next questions. What are some of the stigmas and the biases that you deal with professionally? 
professionally or you see around you. Yeah. The way that these women are treated is unacceptable in many cases. And I am, I joke that I would never yell at someone for making my coffee wrong. Like I'm never going to go Karen on somebody who's in, you know, made my coffee wrong. But I will completely come unglued when it's a situation where my patient is being mistreated by someone. I see that in pharmacies a lot. I see a lot of problems with how they get treated in the pharmacy. I've had pharmacists refuse to give them their medications, even though, and they'll say to me, like, well, you realize this patient is pregnant, right? I do. I felt her baby kick me today. Like, thank you so much. I'm trying to keep her alive. Can you please give her her medications? So the, um, I'm sometimes less professional than that about how I word it because I just get so emotional about it. I have heard them talk to in a way that I didn't personally know people really got talked to like. So if I go in a pharmacy and I have a problem and I start to work through the problem, I'm going to have a totally different experience than my patient when she goes in. And I've heard it on speakerphone. Like the patients had me. That was my first really eye-opening experience to being treated with that kind of stigma. Nobody's ever treated me like that personally. So to see it was so mind-blowing. To hear it was yeah, You're just, hearing this going on across the camera, so absolutely. to speak. And it's so unacceptable that it has to stop. And so that's where we come in to help yeah. with that. A true advocate. Yes. Thank you for your work and oh. the work of your team. Obviously, that means the world. Uh, do most of your patients come to you voluntarily? Is it a report? type of thing. How do you get your patients, clients? Absolutely. So we always say that we are 24-7, anytime, any place. Our joke is it's always, we see the most intakes on July 4th. Of all days of the year, the most people come to us on July 4th. I don't know why. But it's just, I, I don't that know. That would be an interesting You're just study. motivated. You're inspired. I don't know. The fireworks. Well, you want to be free of that maybe uh, struggle, that's it. perhaps. You're, I have no I idea. don't know, but it's, that's our busiest day of the year, always. Um, but we will take patients 24-7. So we don't, I, I hate the way in medicine we can get really bogged down by referrals and paperwork and everything being perfectly lined up. Just come in the door. I don't care if you have your ID. I don't care if you have insurance. I don't care if it's two in the morning. Just walk in. So 24-7, no referrals needed. Um, patients, can, they may not have custody of their current children. They may have no housing. They may have a cat in the car and it's the middle of February. We're going to figure it out. Because they just, when they are motivated for recovery, we have to be there and be available to help them. So 24-7, they can walk into labor and delivery at Community Anderson or Community East. And we will get things started. And you'll also, it sounds like, help if nothing less, refer them to wraparound services. Absolutely. Where you can deal with total need, not just the physical need of a mother going through this. Absolutely. And we definitely, we do those, um, the intakes, we do them on labor and delivery. So these women are in a private room, private bathroom. We're making sure baby's safe in that process. You know, they are really getting individualized care for that immediate needs. We catch up their OB care. We make sure baby's safe, mama's safe. And then is in that, that time. Is that the priority, baby safety and mother safety? Is Absolutely. that your initial priority? And that's a lot of reason that many places that do um, intakes are afraid to take pregnant patients because they're concerned of the safety of the baby in that process because they don't have the right te- monitoring devices 
but we're labor and delivery. That's what we do. So we can make sure baby is safe as well as mama is safe in that whole process. Wow. Wow. Uh, What if, I, I don't know if this is appropriate for the moment, but what about costs? I'm not asking yeah. amounts, but what about payments? Somebody comes to you, destitute, homeless, living in that car with that cat in February. Yeah. What if I don't have a dime to my name? And I, whatever. Let's do it. Get them in. I mean, we got to start, right? And so our program is no cost to the patients. Um, most pregnant women qualify for Medicaid Um, because of the pregnancy itself, sort of fast-tracks them into Medicaid access. So we get that all figured out on the back end. I'm never going to ask her for pay stubs. I'm never going to ask her for her bank account number. None of those things matter. We'll get to that. We'll figure that part out. So it really, and that's something that I've been very blessed to be able to just say yes when other places have to know those things before they can take in a patient. That's what amazes me about your program because I've heard of so many with those stigmas, biases, Mm -hmm. with uh, insurance, without insurance, et cetera, et cetera, and they don't get this kind of positive treatment and hope and possibilities uh, because a mother who's been been using for any length of time she's got to have tremendous concerns for that child absolutely what's happening with that child what will happen to that child and everything else that goes along with that what is a typical length of time that you would deal with someone yeah uh yeah you i think you said you start after the pregnancy, the initial, you know, pregnancy, how long, if somebody stays with your program, your plan, how long are we looking at, so to speak? Yeah. So we meet mothers at any point in their pregnancy. We have recently also started to open our door to women who have small children. So we can only do intakes, the people who come to labor and delivery and get the immediate 24-7 access to detox. That's for pregnant women. Um, But we are also starting, for example, if we got a phone call that this woman had a three-month-old baby, she's seeking services, we would help find a way for her to be able to detox in something, you know, somewhere within community. And then she would do all her outpatient care with us from there. So that that initial intake is the couple days long. From there, you figure out what happens from there. And those mamas will stay with us. They can currently, our policy is they can stay with us until their baby's up to five years old. So they could be with us almost six years right now. But we keep raising that number as the oldest child in our program keeps getting older so that we can eventually have that number be as long as she needs us, we're there. That would be incredible. What you're doing is incredible, obviously. Uh, What is your primary goal overall for that patient i know it's the mother's safety that baby's safety or the child's if it's three-year-old whatever the case may be but what do you see as the end goals is yeah yeah. i always start with that main priority of her survival and the baby's survival is that first step right if she can't get into services her chance of death by overdose is through the roof right so we've got to start with the immediate needs, you know, the survival of her, the pregnancy, and just that immediate solving of, do you need to be fed right this minute? You know, have you eaten today? 
Like we have to start with that moment. But my long-term goals for her are for her to have some really good long-term goals. So if her long-term goal is that she wants to get her GED and we're going through this right now with a patient and then she's excited to become a peer recovery coach, great. Then I'm going to help her and the team is going to help her navigate how to get to that goal. And it is so variable from person to person. Absolutely. That I'm, I'm there on their journey. They're not on my journey. So that's another thing we don't do great in medicine. We really, especially as providers, we make it, oh, you're 15 minutes late. I'm not going to see you. You know, we, all these rules, all these ways that you have to jump through our hoops to get to us. I carry a work cell phone so that the patients can call me if they need me, because if they're calling me, they need me. Yeah. So we need to be accessible to our, to the people we serve. We're trying to put demands on people who don't respond well to societal expectations. They've got problems that have gotten them there, maybe a mental health issue or whatever the case may be. And we're trying to put them in a, in a box that Mm -hmm. fits for us instead of trying to get in their box with them. Exactly. And And the outcome for them could be death. Yes. I mean, every over every use could be the overdose that kills you. And so if we don't treat it as emergency medicine, we end up just firing patients because they didn't do it how we wanted it done. But we're not we're not the we're not in charge. Like we're here to be of service. We're not fighting their battle. And sometimes we just create an additional battle yeah. for them instead of helping them win the battle. Right. The battles that they are capable of within themselves. So mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, you pretty well told us who qualifies and that's anybody who walks through the door that's pregnant or even with child, mm-hmm. uh, up to, I think you said five years old at this time. Right. This second continue. we're taking in patients who have, who are either pregnant or have a baby under the age of one, but we're going to keep, we're, we're learning about taking care of patients, starting care when they're not pregnant. So we'll keep expanding that number two. Awesome. What's the advice the information you'd like to give to our folks who are listening, who are, my mind's kind of boggled by this. I'll be honest with you because yeah. it, I thought it sounds too good to be true. I believe it. I trust you. Don't misunderstand me, Brooke. But uh, this, with all the stigma and the bias around mental health and addiction issues, this just seems too good to be true. Yeah. Uh, Dispel my thinking, please. <laughs> we have we have learned a lot of lessons over the years about things that we needed to do to make the program better, to make choice work for the patient, not the patient work for choice. And we have not been as good as at this as, you know, in 2015, we just said, okay, yes, we'll figure it out. So there were things we didn't know how to do or how to do as well. But as the years have gone by and we have had incredible support in doing this and community health networks leadership has always said, yes, we'll figure out how to pay for it. You know, we'll, we'll make this work. You know, the money, we have to keep the lights on, right? So we do have to bring in revenue, but they have allowed us to help these women in the way they need to be helped. And that is so unique and so rare. And to be able to have this team, uh, the peer recovery coach that works for Choice is the first peer recovery coach in Indiana that's working for a women's healthcare system. We're not part of behavioral health. We're, we're part of the women's healthcare system. And that's unusual to get that degree of support. We're just so blessed with leadership that allows it that we get to show up and do what we need to do. Our, 
our recovery movement, a better life, Brianna's hope. We began June 16 of 2014. I always said I'd rather have a sloppy start than no start. I'm almost hearing that from you. When I jumped into this, I didn't have long-term plans, long-term goals. I just knew there were people dying on the streets and in our arms and in our bedrooms who didn't deserve to die and wanted to help make difference in all of that. So we jumped in, got our feet wet. We made mistakes, but we've learned a lot, and we've grown a lot. We've accomplished a lot. We're very thankful for where we are. And I get kind of the same feel here. But I think that's also reflective of the addiction culture of today. If we knew the answers, we've already said we wouldn't be in here. We don't even know the right questions to ask sometimes. And you guys are asking those questions and getting them answered on the spot and helping people along the best you can till you can help them farther. And one of the things that has been really important to us to learn is that every person is so unique that you can't make rules that that are have a firm line in the sand because there's just going to be something that just doesn't make sense. Every rule we do make, we say, except for the exceptions, which we'll, we will determine who they are when we meet them because you just can't say you only get to do this. You only get to do that. You only get to come in and be admitted with us twice. And if you leave AMA, AMA or leave against medical advice, we're never going to take you back. But that's not always true. We've got to be flexible And I think that medicine is finally catching up to that as a field of understanding that we can't just tell patients, do it our way or get out. They're going to die. I think all of that relates back to our mental health. Mm -hmm. I'm different than you, not less than, more than, simply different than. I can fit within this, and if I have a need, what if it doesn't fit within that? Let's find a way to yeah. make the program fit instead of the individual fit the program. And that's something we say a lot in our group is where are the yeses? Like what can we say yes to in this? How can we just say yes and then figure out how to make it work? What do we, it, it's going to. I like that. You know, we just have to find the yeses. So if we get in a situation where I hear a lot of no's coming in, I'm just like, okay, what? And I'll say it to patients too. You know, you've said no to me about everything I just offered you. What would you do? What's the yes? Tell me one thing you'd say yes to right now. Can we just go get lunch? Like, would that be a yes? Like, how about we get you some chicken fingers? Would that be a yes? Like, and that's the start of building that rapport because these pa- we when we expect patients to walk in the door and trust us from the second they walk in the door, that's an unreasonable expectation. They don't, I always say to them, I just met you. I don't know what's going on in your life. I'm just here to try to help. And we build that trust and our whole team does. The choice team, everyone who works for choice is a mother themselves and really has that focus on that patient and their individual needs. So you just said everybody who works for choice, your team is Mm -hmm. a mother themselves. Mm -hmm. Is that so they can relate more so to the moment and the need and have a different understanding that I would have as a male being a part of that? It's that relationship between a mother and a child that is so sacred that has, and I'm not downplaying the nope. father's relationship. It's really important. That. But that relationship between a mother and a child is just 
so unique. And we had a patient the other day who said something about, I, we were talking about anxiety, and I asked her, you know, how's your anxiety doing? And she said, well, you know, I meant like if they spilled their red drink on the white carpet, I wouldn't come unglued. And every person in the room was like, I know that feeling exactly. Like as a mother, I remember exactly the feeling of looking at my kids and being like, if you spill that red drink, I'm just going to come unglued, you know? And that moment really helped me remember why mothers helping mothers in this is, it wasn't even intentional that the team is all mothers. It just worked out that way, but it was a beautiful design that it worked out that way because it has made a difference in how we can connect with the people we're helping. So we're talking about the mom and all this. How can dad be the most support yes. and positive influence? Uh, yes. We work hard. So the dad is not officially our patient. So I can't write prescriptions for him. I can't admit him, but I can help him find resources. And dad finding recovery as well. Oftentimes the couples we're dealing with are both working their way through recovery. And so dad finding strength in his recovery journey is a huge part of mom's recovery journey, is a huge part of the stability for that child. And so the biggest thing, but if dad has, we also see situations where dad is trying to love mom through this. But I think I heard you on a podcast recently say something about, someone was talking about being loved to death by the people that were oh, trying to yes. help them. Yeah, yes. just recently, I remember that. And that's sometimes the case, too, where we have to say to dad, like, hey, you need to go to Al-Anon. You need to go to these support programs that are going to help you figure out how to help her through this, not enable her through it. That's that word so important when we talk of addiction and recovery, enabling it. And it's such a fine line and it varies with each relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, there are certain standards you have to be careful of, but. As you were saying earlier, there's always an exception to the exception in a place where you don't have to just find the yes, but you've got to find a no mm -hmm. at those times. So, wow. Uh, what can we as a, as a community, what can we do better to help those moms that you are dealing with? those moms that you're medically The thing that with. concerns me the most that I see is forgiveness. There's so little forgive, true forgiveness in, in the systems we have set up. So if a mother has previously been incarcerated and has a prior felony for substances, it could be an empty syringe is the felony. But in those situations, she loses her ability to qualify for so many resources that would make all the difference. So there's many housing resources that don't apply to her anymore. There's many uh, different government resources that are no longer an option. But then she also struggles to get further education. So she can't go to college if she has a felony on her record. And she can't. There's so many things that get narrowed down for her. And there's just so little forgiveness. It's like they can never get past that felony without going through a legal system of expungement and all these things that can be very expensive and extremely time-consuming to really be forgiven. So the one of, one of the things I always dream about as a way, as a solution, is the housing problems that exist for people. There's such a small inventory of affordable housing. Um, they often get taken advantage of in situations where they feel like, well, I can't complain about this black mold in my apartment because I'm going to lose that apartment and there's nowhere for me to go. 
And so they're in housing with uh, cockroach infestation, and there's nothing to be done about it because there is nowhere else for them to go. So the forgiveness of in the culture, but also the resources of housing, is just such a huge difference. And you did just have, I forget her name, but she was from Tennessee, a lady that was on recently. Who Caroline was talking, Biden. Yes, who was just talking about housing. And I was like, yes, girl. I'm in the background yelling at it. Yes, girl, housing, yes. <laughs> amen, amen, amen. Because we, the housing situation, to be, I, I always tell my patients, I want a picture of you in front of the tree with this baby this year. I love those Christmas tree pictures. You know, they're just such a beautiful moment in time. And, you know, you need a place to put the tree. You need a place to be a family, to have family moments. And a lot of these women that I meet don't have safe support families to go back to. They don't have a family they could go live with in crisis because that wasn't a safe place for them and they don't want their baby in that situation. And wisely so. Exactly. They're trying to protect their child, but then they end up homeless in that process. Yeah, yeah. And as you're talking about that forgiveness aspect and the way it limits, it certainly relates limit you occupation-wise, getting a job that you can even afford to work and make a decent enough wage for you and your family to to move forward. And I'm sure all of those things you listed are one of the reasons we have people relapsing in Mm -hmm. your head and hearts and turning back to the drug. You know, they feel so beaten down and just worth so little and they can't see a way out at ten dollars an hour you can't live on that today well and i've sat down and i figured out how much i called mcdonald's i asked them how much they would hire me for i talked to them about how many hours a week i would get and then i went and wrote and i called apartment complexes in the area and i tried to write a budget and i wrote it on excel because i was like i really want to play with these numbers You could not do it without assistance of some kind, but you don't qualify for that assistance because you have a prior felony that's five years old and you've been sober for five years, but you, you don't qualify for any assistance, but there's no childcare that would be open. You'd have to work 15 hours a day in order to just afford the basics with no complications, but you wouldn't be able to afford a car. I mean, it just, it doesn't, the math doesn't work. And so we can't ask people to do something. We... We have an expression in choice where we say, if you say it out loud and it's this, we say to each other, not to our patients, but if you say it out loud and it sounds stupid, it is stupid. Don't do that. Basic, right? Just don't do it. Right. Figure out another solution. And when you ask people to stay sober and be perfect and be a great parent and do all these things, but you don't give them the resources to make it possible and you've given them a math problem that doesn't work. How's their solution there? There isn't one. We got to figure something else out. There's just no answer at the bottom of that adding this number and that number that is going to be adequate to get you even less than comfortably through life. Right. I'm not talking about driving a Lexus. Just comfortable. A little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a safety net in case things don't go right. Because there's always a moment, you know, the car breaks down, whatever. But we have to do better. And I, I see things coming. I see things happening. But we just have to keep pushing. So I I really like the way you went with the word forgiveness there and the idea of expungement. But as you said, there's a certain cost involved with that. And how do I even get my feet on the ground to start moving in a positive direction? Uh, but I, I 
I'm in total agreement yeah. with your directional process there, and I like that. Um, what? Speak to anybody out there who may be at that spot in their lives. They're going through a pregnancy. They've dealt personally with substance use disorder. Speak to them a moment, please. Yeah. Oh, I just want them to come in. I just want them to meet us. What if, if they're if not they from come, Madison County? There's resources in the, in, there's always resources. There's always a way. But it's opening your heart to the idea that maybe what you have in mind isn't going to be the solution. So it's being open-minded. I say optimistically open-minded. So it's not just saying, okay, I'm willing to go there. I'm willing to go there and I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to hear what they have to say. And I think that people understanding that you still get to be the boss of you, like I'm not in charge, or whoever's taking care of you, they're not in charge of you. But you have to be open-minded to solutions that you haven't tried before, especially when you have a timeline. So in pregnancy, you've got to be sober by the time you deliver that baby or you're going to have DCS intervention. So you've got to, you can't say when I'm ready, you know, in two years or whatever, you, you've got this timeline. And if your goal is to parent that baby, you've got to be really open-minded to things that maybe you haven't tried before. Take the right steps up to that moment in order to be able to live it as you please. Yeah. 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 And it may mean being a little uncomfortable for a little while, going to a residential recovery residency that maybe isn't your dream come true. But it'll help your it'll help. dream come true it'll in help the them future. So you can send me a tree picture yeah. you know, in front yeah. of the Christmas tree. Do you get those pictures? I do get the pictures. Do you really? And they're so joyful. Uh, the little ones in their little Christmas outfits, you know, and mama's <laughs> smiling and trying to stop them from running, you know, and all the things that um, a beautiful family is, right? And those are glorious. And I see these families grow, and I see these children grow up and go to kindergarten, and I just... I'm so joyful because nobody works harder than the patients who come to us and oh my, do the work. Over my nine years of dealing with those uh, who deal with substance use disorder, I have such a world of respect for their hearts yeah. when they get serious. Yeah. Uh, you better get out of the way. <laughs> I know. it. You better be ready to help. If yes. it's two in the morning yes. on 4th of July, you better be ready. I love that yeah. aspect of it. I love their honesty, their sincerity, and their recognition that I may have blown it, but that's not going to define me. Right. I'm going to move forward from it, and I'm going to be the me I was created to be. Yes, there's always a solution. There is. It's just being open to that, not being exactly what you had in mind the first time or third time or fifth time. And we rarely get patients who come to us who just say, I surrender. Whatever you say, I'm just going to do it. At this point, I've tried everything. That's not normally what comes in. When they do come in, we're like, oh, yeah, let's go. Yeah, yeah. But it, even if they have, even if they want to try a different route, we're going to go with them. Let's figure it out. Whatever you can say yes to. Whatever basically. we can say yes to. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think often of Dr. Phil. I'm not a big Dr. Phil fan, though I enjoy him on occasion. He always has that comeback. How's that working for you? Yeah. And that's probably one of the best questions we can ask ourselves. Is my way or my decisions working to my good. Mm -hmm. If not, you better change them. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, if the answer is stupid in your head, yeah. 
make it do a different thing. Do it differently. Absolutely. Listen, as we get ready to close down here, Brooke, uh, what would you like to wrap this up with? Just that I'm always receptive. So if there's people listening who are seeking recovery and want to even just talk, even if they're nowhere near where we are, if they're not in a community where we can help them directly, they can still reach out to us and we are happy to talk to them. We're happy to tell them what resources we know about. We're happy to do whatever little bit we can do to help. How would they do that? Sure. How would they reach out? So there's a couple different ways to get us. Um, We have a main choice phone number that is answered by a person. It does not go to a you know, go through 15 different buttons to reach a human. Right. Um, So they can get us on that. And that number is um, 317-355-1482. Would you repeat that again, Mm -hmm. please? 317-355-1482. Okay. And that would get them to choice. Uh, That's answered during regular business hours. So if they call in the middle of the night, they can leave a message on that one. They can also go to our website, which is e-community, so the letter E, community.com slash choice. Is choice an acronym? Yes. Would you explain that yes. to us? So we, when we first got started, we did not, uh, we had concerns about, we were just called like the addiction programming or the substance use program. And I was like, that's not a name. And that's not, it's not, we're doing more than just this one thing. We're doing all the things that go with this. So we as a group came together and came up with the name Choice, which is uh, Change, Hope, Overcome, Inspire, Community, and Education. And it's just all the things that we do to try to help be part of people's journey. Uh, The other way, of course, that patients can get to us is by going into, they can just walk in 24-7 to, if they're like, I need help today, you can come in 24-7 to Community East or Community Anderson Go directly to labor and delivery and say, I'm here for that program that helps pregnant women who are struggling with use. And they'll get them set. Can you give us the addresses for those two places? Those I don't have memorized off the top of my head. But yes, Community Hospital Anderson and Community Hospital East. Give us that phone number one more time, please. Uh, 317-355-1482. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Anything else you'd like to say? Nope. Just always here to help. Well, that's obvious, and I believe you've reached a lot of people here with this, and uh, so thankful for you and what your team is doing. Keep it up. We Thank need you. it. Uh, <laughs> we may not be ready to admit it, but we need it, and I hope that next mom steps in ready and you get that Christmas picture, okay? We'll be ready. Yeah, yeah. I'd like a collection of those as well. <laughs> well, folks, thank you uh, for joining us here today. Brooke Schaefer, thank you for being alongside. Thank you for the work you do through the perinatal substance use disorder treatment for choice. Uh, good stuff. We hope this will reach some of you in a way that it gives you one more resource and one more answer to the struggle you're facing, the challenge before you. Keep walking. Turn the corner. Make that phone call. There are people who aren't just there. They're there because they want to be. They're there because they want to help. They want to see a difference for you, in you. God bless. Thank you for tuning in. Take care, stay in the battle.